Welcome to this podcast by Global Church. We are a church planting movement wanting to reach cities from here to everywhere, one to everyone. If you want to find out more information, check out our website on www.globalchurch.co.uk. Good morning, Global Church. It's great to see you again. I hope you've had a great week. I'm just, I want to try and finish off today, but we're looking at how do you pull a team together? How do you integrate everybody? How do you, who do you look for? What do you look for in people? That's what we've been looking at these last couple of weeks. Last week, that word, that magical word, synergy, you know, it's just amazing that it's, we achieve more than the, the sum total of the parts that are involved. You know, synergy is created when all the, the giftings and the work comes together and, and there's a oneness and a unity uh, t- together. And, and when we're pulling together, we create uh, almost like the 12th man in a football team, you know, which is the crowd. And, you know, the outcome is not like one-on-one equals two. It's like one-on-one equals three, four, five, even more. And the Bible puts it like this. One together person, one person who, who can handle themselves well, one gifted person will put a 1,000 to flight. Two will put 10,000 to flight. Synergy has happened. It's not two makes 2,000, two makes 10,000. And that's how we break through in business. That's how we break through in church growth. That's how we break through in family and and family dynamics. Because you can have an extended family, you can have a big family, but if you don't get on and you have to come to to family meals or family get-togethers and it's fractious and fractions and all that. It's not great, but do you know what? If you're of one heart and one mind, one identity, one voice, you know, one vision, that you, you are the shores or whatever your family is, you know. Uh, you know, we've got the strong ones and now we've got the shores and we've got the Wollstone homes. And it's brilliant to be part of those two families. Why? Because we work at it. That's why. You know, the synergy comes back. There is a payoff. It's fantastic. But there is a price to pay and it's worth it. So we're looking again at building a team. Uh, Are you with me? So we looked at, uh, when choosing team members, we looked at gifts. Gifted, influential, fruitful, trustworthy and serving. We looked at four things that that people need to know on your team. That that They have to have a great attitude. They're expected to grow that um, they're expected to work at relationships with each other as a team and with people they're working with or working for. And mentoring, that is passing on the skills to others. It's not just about them. You know, that growth, that self-feeder uh, is a great one in there. Our values as global, we have 12 values and, and four of them are about learning, loving, living, you know, living a great life, not just existing and leading in life. Don't just lead in church, lead in life. You know, if you're at a wedding, you know, maybe you're a church leader, you know, don't just lead in the church. If you're at a wedding, be the first on the dance floor. Even if, even if you can't dance, go and, be, go and lead in life. Don't just lead in your little bit of church life. That's too small. God's called you to bigger than that, more beautiful than that. Go and lead in life. And that's we're known as the party church in York. And so, you know, it's, it's tough to keep that image up. <laughs> so me and Shelley lead in life. We do not just in church services and circles. We lead in life and we love it. 
So learning, and you know, even in the church, it's cre- it creeps in, the church at large, where there's a kind of anti-learning thing. Well, yeah, it's just they've got a degree, but it doesn't matter. Yeah, it does. Have you ever tried to get a degree? It's not that easy. You've got to go drinking every night. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. It's not that easy. You go and do it. I've got a master's and I had to write, write 20,000 words. Oh, I could easily do that, but making them all make sense, that was the tough bit. <laughs> you try and do it. Honestly, it's hard work. It is. So let's not let's not be like that. Let's be teachable. Let's, let's be open to learning. Yeah? Learning life. Learning new things. I'm coming up to 60. I'm not far off 60. I'm hoping I'm going to live till I'm about 100, 120. I want to keep going. But, but here's the thing. I want to keep fresh. I want to keep learning. I want to be teachable. That's why it's important for me to have young people in my life that challenge me thinking. My sons challenge me thinking. You know, they've got great respect for me, but I keep saying, tell me. Tell me. And they do. And then I wish I never said it. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm always joking. Well, I like to joke, I should say. There are some serious parts of my life, like eating. So sharing your vision with team members. Once you've got your team in place, you must share your vision. And for us in church, it's often a God-given vision. But maybe today you're not a church goer, you're not a believer, but you're saying, I love these principles, Dave, and I'm saying stick with us. The principles of Jesus will give you success in this life. The person of Jesus will give you success in both lives, in this life and the life to come. But I want to tool you up for here and now. It's a privilege to have you listening in. So thanks for tuning in. Stick with us because we'll do you good. But, you, you know, have a vision that, that makes people want to get out of bed in the morning. We call it a God-sized vision. But you, you know what I'm saying. Don't just say, well, I want you to paint them doors today. Say, listen, there's five doors in this house. It'll take half an hour each side to do the door. So that's like, hmm, could be... That's uh, five hours, right? So I expect five hours, but then I've got some other jobs for you to do. And, um, you know, I'm wondering, can you do it in eight hours? I think you can, and but I'm going to be timing you. I'm going to come back halfway through the day. I want to see how far on you've got. Come on, I need to get this working. You know, enter in. You know, make it interesting for them. I'll buy you lunch if you've done them doors before lunch without any drips on them. <laughs> so... Yeah, you know, but give the God-given vision. I'm, I, these are like parts of the vision, but, you know, we're building an estate or we're going to decorate a street. We're going to do something. Whatever your vision is, whatever your job is, then, you know, let them know the, the, the immensity of the vision. Give them something to get out of bed for in the morning. That'll challenge you to grow your vision. Remember, team members will catch your vision at different rates. I've had to learn this. I think if I've told them, they've received it because they're all nodding. Well, have you noticed pigeons nod? <laughs> I'm not being bad about my team. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just saying this because people are nodding doesn't mean to say that they've got what you're talking about. And so some will understand it and embrace it quickly. Others may need to hear it a few times. Some, uh, so, sorry, there's an author called uh, Howard Gardner and it teaches that people have preferences as to how they capture vision. So we, he says that we need to be creative in how we share the vision. So he gives us some helps here. And they're all something smart. So the first one is word smart. Word smart. 
People that are word smart, they capture the vision by hearing a leader describe it verbally. So you'll want to teach and preach about the vision. So that's my strength. That's what I do. And people capture that off me. People that are word smart. But there are people that will listen to me that won't capture it because they're not word smart. And they're visual smart. Number two, they catch the vision through pictures and images. So you may want to have some visual aids to help you show them the future. And sometimes we've got to speak in picture language to help people to get it and, and to understand, you know, how the, the whole thing fits together. But pictures are great. And they say a picture paints a thousand words. And it's so true. So people that are visually smart, take them to places. If you want people, if you're saying the organisation is not creative enough, take them to some places where creativity is going on at different types uh, of levels. Creativity, take people to different places, art galleries, take them to coffee shops. You know, to, I was taking photographs of different coffee shops for one of my sons who's worked in coffee shops for years and he's, he's thinking, Dad, one day, someday, I, I, I want my own coffee shop. So I saw some ideas and things. He's got more ideas than me, to be fair, but it's the language that we talk. We love seeing things. I, I love properties, so I love looking at properties. Number three is logic smart. And I didn't think I was this, but the more I, let me explain it. What is logic smart? They catch the vision by receiving statistics, statistics and facts about it. I think how boring, right? Application, you'll want to communicate the facts and figures surrounding the vision. And even today, a businessman has been sharing some stuff with me about facts and figures. He was showing me how he can make half a million in two years. Half a million pounds. And he was showing me the stats. And all of a sudden, when he mentioned half a million in two years, do you know, it didn't seem boring anymore. <laughs> but I could see how somebody that's logic smart would grasp that. And you start to tell them, you know, you put data into them. They're like, wow, like, it'll take you this long. And you can do it like this. And, you know, if you put that much in, you get that much out or whatever it is. Number four, music smart. They catch the vision by hearing a song on the theme of the vision. I thought this is a bit random. And yet church is full of it. You think of what we call anthemic songs or anthemic hymns. And they really bring home the truths. You know, one song that I've loved for years by a great church called Hillsong. And, and they sing the song, um, Your mercy found me upon a broken road and lifted me beyond my failures. I'm like, that's me. <laughs> and, and, but it says it all. It encapsulates so much of what was my journey and, and so many people that I know. But when you've got a team, sometimes it's music that explains things. It speaks into their heart. You know, things like, here's another one. You've got to search for the hero inside yourself. You search for the key to your heart. You, you know something? When you found the hero inside yourself, when you found the key to your heart, you are a transformed person. But, but you've got to understand, you've got to, you've got to be that kind of person to get it. I love you too, song. Such a beautiful day. Don't let it get away. What a beautiful day. Or is it take that that sing, this could be the greatest day of my life. Music, very emotive. And yet 
people catch the vision by hearing a song on the theme of the vision. So find a song, find find something that, that communicates your vision to that kind of person that's music smart. Another one is people smart. They catch the vision in the midst of small group interaction. And so you want to host small discussion groups on the vision. Sell smart. They catch the vision through personal thinking and reflecting times. And, you know, you can give them a book and they get it. They read the book and just get it like that. And then you uh, get the body smart. They catch the vision kinesthetically. That's a great word. That's the word of the week. Kinesthetically. How do you like your coffee? Kinesthetically, please. Kinesthetically. Through experiences and movement. So you'll want to host an experience such as walking on a new property, if that's, if that's what you're, you, you're into. You know, maybe you've got some houses, new builds that you need to sell. You know, you, you, you're wanting a customer, you can't get through to them, you say, meet me there. And you walk them around that building and they start to see, like, wow, yeah. Or you're cutting the soil for the first time on a, on a build, you know, and you get your, your team around you. You say, meet me down there, we're going to have coffee on site. And you get them on site and then you start to tell them, this is where we're going to build it. This And people, some of your team will learn it kinesthetically. And so let's uh, let's get into that, shall we? <laughs> Body smart. You know, they need to be there. They need to be, they need to be entering into it. Anthropomorphic. Nehemiah in the Bible first communi- communicated his vision to rebuild Jerusalem's walls to a group of men. And they fulfilled that dream in, in, within 52 days which is very fast. But in the story, the team got discouraged about halfway through the project. And there were people speaking against them. There were death threats put on them. And this is in Jerusalem. They were rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem that had been broken down and its gates had been burned with fire. But Nehemiah gathered his team together again and communicated the vision again. And Nehemiah teaches us that people need to continue hearing the vision even as they work towards its fulfilment. Don't just think just because they started well, they're going to finish well. We need to keep going because we run out of steam and we run out of purpose. We're like, why am I doing this again? I seem to just be putting one brick on top of another. I seem to be just changing nappies every single day. I seem to be just doing this, that and the other every single day, crunching numbers every day. If you've got an accountant's firm and you've got number crunchers all around you, you know, it's important that you envision them. Not just keep pushing them and pushing them to get the numbers out and get them to, to, to collate and all that lot and to uh, forget the word where the figures add up. You know, that's great. That's the job done. But it's it, it, sometimes it's not just the job's done. It's that they're done. And so re-envision them. Tell them what the figures represent. It represents a customer whose life, livelihood depends on good accounts. Tell them the story about that guy's success or that woman's success. Tell them the stories, the gratitude that comes back into your office. You know, it's important to envision people as to why they're doing it. Keep reminding people of the why, not to all the leaders in global. Keep reminding everybody of the why, the leaders that you're leading and the people that they represent, the church themselves. Let's keep giving people the why. Making disciples, planting churches, reaching cities. Why? Because Jesus Christ is coming back soon. Fact. And he's coming back for his church. And he wants as many people in that church as possible. Go and make disciples. Plant churches. Reach cities. 
Come on, guys, we've got an eternity to rest. Let's put some energy and effort in this side of life, you know, before eternity kicks in. You know, David and Jonathan, King David and Jonathan, Jonathan should have been the rightful king, but he handed it over to David and they had a, a close relationship in the Bible and it was fantastic. We can learn a lot. It's in 2 Samuel somewhere, 2 Samuel 20, I think it is. But their relationship was amazing. Jonathan's attitude to David and he saw God's hand on David's life, a metaphor of God's hand that, that God had selected David to become king. Jonathan was naturally born to be king. He was the son of a king, but he could see something had changed and that God had switched something in the spirit realm and he was giving it to David. And Jonathan offered David his robe, his sword. It just, there's so many, his crown even. There's so many things there that we, it's a talk all in itself. But you know something? When you've got a team that, that prefers each other's needs, not to the detriment of their own, where they're walking around going, woe is me, everyone else is getting on. No, but where there's an energy in giving, an energy in serving and seeing somebody else's success in your team and shouting about it and enjoying it and maybe buying some champagne in there and celebrating it. That's when you know you're going places. And that's great, but what happens when you have to remove or replace somebody because they're in the wrong place? Are they not functioning now like they used to? And it's, it's not an easy task. It's one of the most difficult tasks for a church leader or a business owner. No one enjoys telling somebody else that they're failing to do the job. Keep in mind when you see somebody malfunctioning that you may simply need to consider finding a better position for a failing team member. But don't be like some of the major players, not major players, the major employers, where instead of confronting stuff, they promote them. When there's bad people that need disciplining and sorting out, they don't do it, they promote them. Don't do that. That's just lazy, that's cowardice, and that really does not care about the workforce. Let's be people who take it the, 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 do the right thing. Maybe you simply have to have the right person in the wrong place. Well, that's brilliant, because now you can find a place for them. However, from time to time, every leader makes a mistake and enlists the wrong person. They simply don't fit on the team. Here's some questions to ask before removing a team member. Get ready. Might need a pen and pencil for this. Old school. Number one. Has the project or the ministry outgrown the person? Or has the person outgrown the project or the ministry you've given them to do? Do they no longer fit the position because they've grown or because they can't keep up? That the ministry is outgrown then. They can't keep up. Number two. Who believes this team member needs to be replaced? If you're the only one who thinks this person has failed, take caution and get confirmation. Because sometimes people have got information that you haven't got. And it's good just to take stock and go and do some homework. Number three. What will be the basis of his or her dismissal? Areas where you have good grounds to dismiss a team member are these. Failed character. There's character issues that are, you just, you, you, you know, you've got to remove them because they've, they've done something wrong. Relational problems. 
Nobody gets on with them. Bad attitude. They carry a bad attitude consistently. Are they just incompetent? How to remove a team member when I rattle through these. Number one, do it personally. A personal encounter allows you to communicate your heart. It also communicates that they're important. You see, I hate that term, we fired them. You know, like fired them. Somebody, a human being, whose children respect them, whose, whose husband or wife loves them, whose wage is necessary in the house, they're dependent on that wage. No, you don't fire them. You treat them with such dignity. It has to happen. It has to happen that they have to move on. But it's how we do it. Let's communicate that they're important. To simply write a letter or a note is too cruel. The news should be delivered promptly and directly by the leader who is taking action. So rumours don't spread to the team member uh, before the leader can get to them. You know, that's awful when it all gets out before you can get to them. So watch who you take into confidence, but do your homework and do it as subtly as you can. But let's do it face to face with people. Number two. So do it. Number one, do it personally. Number two, do it gently without bitterness or malice. When the dismissal is uttered, the team member may become angry or defensive. Be gentle. How would you feel? Remember, a soft answer turns away wrath. Proverbs 15 verse 1. Don't communicate any bitterness or malice, but be honest. Gentleness doesn't require deception. You know, the Bible says, Proverbs 27 verse 6, it says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. So, you know, we don't, have, we don't use deception. We don't butter people up. We don't, we don't use, we don't play games. Details on the decision may be discussed at a second meeting after the emotional grief has dissipated. To start to try and discuss things at this point can be too inflammatory. And so let's take our time with them and give them time. They've given you time. They've served you for, for at least weeks, months, years or whatever. So it's just good to give it. It might take another meeting. So I can do without this. No, you can't. You, you can't if you're going to treat people well. And you need to treat people well. You see, we are servants. We are servant leaders. And this world really needs to learn what a servant leader looks like. God Almighty came to earth took the form of a servant, it says in Philippians chapter 2, humbled himself, became obedient even to death on a cross. That's why God gave him a name that is above every name. If you want a good name in life, God will raise your name up and you treat people well, treat them right. Number three, number one, do it personally. Number two, do it gently. Number three, end their responsibilities quickly. The longer a team member remains in the wrong position, the lower the productivity, and often the more they depress. So often the more they depress others around them, and often they depress others around them. If possible, replace them quickly, even if it's temporarily. Allow them and your organisation to make progress towards the next step. Allow them and your organisation to make progress. Towards the next step, they need to move on.
towards their future and your team needs to move on to live without them. Number four, be consistent. Leaders must be of one mind as to when and why they remove a team member. Lead your organisation by principles that the team can align themselves with and clearly understand. That's important. Lead your organisation by principles that the team can align themselves with. And say that that is good. That's a good way to deal with this kind of situation. And make it known before the situation arises. Know how it is. This is how we will discipline people. Or this is how we will let people go. This is the process of how we will do it. But be consistent and be clear. Number five, you must be discriminating. Be discriminating. All the facts do not need to be divulged to those who, whose interest is slander and gossip. Well, why is this happening? Why is that happening? You don't have to, well, you don't have to divulge all that. You know, we love to protect people. And for instance, sharing the details of a moral failure may save, serve to worsen the situation instead of strengthening it. If somebody's had an affair in the company or something like that, we don't go, you, you, you know, where we can, where we can cover things and, and protect people. You say, well, that's just hypocrisy. No, it's not. Because there's often family involved, children involved. And so we've just got to think before we start to exposing people and, and saying, you've done this and you've done that. None of us are perfect. And okay, moral failure, you know, it's there, it has to be sorted. But let's do it well. Choose your words cautiously and look out for the future ministry of the person you're going to remove or the future that this person is going to have after you've removed them. Why? Because we want them to succeed. And you know, moral failure can come knocking on your door, whether it's stealing or whether it's adultery or, or, or whatever it is. Um, you know, so what we want is the best for people. And although we discipline them at that point and maybe let them go because, you know, that can't happen uh, within the company, they've lost trust and stuff like that. We, we, we get that. But hopefully in your heart, you're looking to see that they eventually will turn from that, will change and move on. And there could be something greater. But you know, at this moment in time, they've, they've failed. And uh, let's not have a big circus about it all. You know, I love de-escalating things. And I can't stand the drama of it all because it hurts people. Number six, help the person find their next step. Although you may have, have no moral obligation to help the team member find the next position, be on the lookout for an opportunity that fits them. I love that. It's so positive because, you know, I've let people go and they've given me their all and, and, but I've had to let them go because it's just not working. And I remember saying to one guy in particular, I just said, I've tried my best and I haven't been able to pull out of you your best and maybe a move somewhere else that you'll, somebody, there'll be somebody more gifted than me to pull it out of you. And you know something, that's exactly what's happened to that fella. And I'm so happy for him. Yeah, you know, I've always wanted him to do well. You know, I've loved him for years. So I'm really happy for him and his family. And so, so let's, let's be on the lookout, helping people with the next step. Help them find a place that fits their gifts and the way that they operate and the way they think. Number seven, last of all, anticipate the problems. When the team member leaves, anticipate where he will go 
on what he will say. For the team that remains, anticipate who will be hurt, how the change will affect them, and the best replacement for the lost team member. Let me just repeat, repeat that. For those that remain, anticipate who will be hurt, how the change will affect them, and the best replacement for the lost team member. Let your team know you anticipate these difficulties when you make those kind of decisions. So building a team is an important part of a leader's job. And once you've got the right team members and they know the vision that they are pursuing, you must move the members from being a group to being a team. I wonder how good you are at this. I wonder how good I am at this. And I love teamwork. It's my favourite. Of all the, the teachings by Maxwell, John Maxwell, I love the 17 irrefutable laws of teamwork. Teamwork makes the dream work. So good. But here's some characteristics of a good team. And I'm going to finish with these. Number one, team members have a high level of interdependence among themselves. Interdependence trumps independence every time. The team, number two, the team leader has good people skills and is committed to a team approach. Number three, each team member is willing to contribute. Number four, the team develops a relaxed climate for communication that people can speak what they think. So these are characteristics of good team building. Number five, team members develop mutual trust. And let's keep protecting that trust and feeding that trust. Because with trust, you can go far fast. When you, when you lose trust, you're always umpiring and it takes forever to get anything done. Number six, a good team, a characteristic of a good team is they are prepared to take risks. They're confident. They're prepared to take risks. Number seven, the team is clear about goals and establishes specific targets. They're clear about goals and they establish specific targets. And you know something? Celebrate when you hit them goals and then targets. You've got to celebrate them. And you know, because the milestones are long to the end result. Number eight, the team members' roles are defined. They know why, why, what they have to do that day. They know what they're doing that week that month, they know where it's going. The team members' roles are defined. But remember, the goal is more important than the role. And I always have that embedded in saying, come on, we're working as a team for the common goal. Number nine, they know how to evaluate mistakes without making personal attacks. That's important in a team because things can get intense. The team know how to evaluate mistakes without making personal attacks. Well, you did this, you always do this. No, no, watch for the pointing finger or even the wagging finger. Number 10, and the last of all, the team has the capacity to create new ideas. The team has the capacity to create new ideas. And you know something in the team you've got, I love team, but I always look for the one. Doesn't, doesn't say a lot often, but when they do, it's the splash of color. They're, they're beautiful gifts to a team. Sometimes they can go two or three meetings without saying a dicky word and you think that they're disengaged. Go and have a coffee with them. You'll find that they're engaged, but they've nothing to say and they don't waste words. And then when they do, it's a splash of colour. 
or they get hold of something and reframe it and, and you're like, oh, genius. Absolutely love teamwork. And today you can know that your sins are forgiven. And we only have one life in global. We don't have a, a religious life and a, a secular life, a secular and, secular and sacred, just one life. So we can talk about business like that in the same breath we can talk about Jesus. There's, there's no dichotomy. There's nothing uh, to stop that. From the team here at Global Church, thank you for listening to this podcast. Please check out our other messages available on the website 